Luke chapter number 19, beginning in verse number 28 this morning. If you find your place, if you'd like to stand and honor the reading of the Word of God, I'll give you what the Lord's put on my heart this morning. I've studied this scripture. As a matter of fact, I've meditated on this all week. God's placed this on my heart. I know this is the right place to go. And as I've studied, I've tried to, in my mind, I've thought of different applications and a lot of things that I could say. And the Holy Spirit of God has reminded me in the wee hours of the morning this morning that if I just give you what the book says, the Holy Ghost will make the application for you. It's amazing how that works. It's amazing how I could be talking about one thing this morning and the Holy Spirit of God can ring your bell about something entirely different. I don't know you. I don't know your need. I don't know where you stand this morning, but I know one who does. Luke chapter number 19, beginning in verse number 28. And when he had thus spoken, he went before ascending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye unto the village over against you, in the which that you're entering you shall find a colt tied whereon yet never man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. If any man ask you, Why do you loose him? Thus shall you say unto him, Because the Lord hath need of him. They that were sent went their way, and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way, when it was come nigh, even now to the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And when it was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now... They are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee around and keep thee on every side. And shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. If God will help me this morning, I want to talk to you on the subject of the time of thy visitation or sending away your day of grace. Titus chapter number 2, verse number 1 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. 
teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The Word of God teaches us that every man, woman, boy, and girl will receive a space of grace or a time in which God will deal with them. And every man, woman, boy, and girl must make a decision whether or not they will follow Christ in His righteousness or if they will remain in the darkness that they are so steeped in. The time of visitation is a time in which God sovereignly chooses to deal with a man or a woman. It's amazing to watch the moving of God on people. I see folks that sit seemingly untouched for weeks and for months at a time, and then all of a sudden, like a fog bank, the Holy Ghost will move in and get all over them and begin to deal with their heart. And I believe the Word of God teaches a whosoever will salvation. But this book does not teach a whensoever will salvation you do not just get saved when you want to get saved hey i'm sorry this morning i've got to report to you that you're not in control you cannot just make a decision and say hey i'll deal with this some other time hey i'll get right with god someday when i'm ready no you'll get right with god when god calls you and when god deals with you or you will not get right with god There's several things I see in this scripture. I'll just tell you what the Word of God shows me this morning or what I've seen. I see the despite of His worship. As the Lord Jesus was going into Jerusalem riding on that little donkey, the disciples of the Lord began to praise Him and worship Him. And when they did, that religious crowd got mad as the devil. And you see here this open emotional display of praise and worship and adoration for the Son of God so troubled the religious leaders that they besought Jesus to rebuke his disciples. What was it about this real worship that troubled their hearts? What was it that brought so much conviction to these Pharisees? I'll tell you what it was. The experimental knowledge of the presence of the Son of God brought so much joy to his disciples. They got beside themselves and they couldn't help it. And it just began to come out of them. They had so much joy and so much love in their hearts for the Son of God. They began to praise him and shout glory to God, Hosanna, to God in the highest. You say, why would that bother the religious crowd? Because religion, all of the religion that they've ever had could not bring one ounce of real joy. All of the rituals that they'd ever had, all the regulations and the rules and all of the reformation that the Pharisees had gone through had never brought one ounce of real joy. Uh 
And I see folks come to church Sunday after Sunday and go through their little routine. And I see their faces and there's never an ounce of joy on them. But I bless his sweet name. God has saved some folks around here in the last couple of years. And I look at, I was looking through those baptizing pictures. And I called Miss Lori and I said, honey, come here. I want you to look at the smile on their faces. I want you to look at somebody that God has set free from the bondage of sin. And they're just glad to be alive. Religion cannot do that. It takes salvation. Put joy in your heart. Boy, that bothered that religious crowd because they didn't have any joy in their heart. I mean, they can come in, they can walk right, and they can talk right, and they can spit white, and they can get their dresses long enough and never wear short sleeves and never watch a television. But I'm telling you, all them rules and regulations don't put joy in your heart. Buddy, I remember when I first got saved, there's been some times my joy's waned, and I've let sin rob me of my joy. But, buddy, I remember... The first few months I saved, I didn't even understand what took place. Right. Brother Jason, I was just glad to be alive. Amen. I watched that boy right there with a smile on his face ever since God saved him. I've seen some of you, they some of you sitting around here this morning, and God's put a smile on your face, and it's like there ain't nothing could wipe it off. Right. What is that? That's an outward evidence of a joy that God has put in your soul. Amen. And I see folks that say they're saved and say they're they know God in my soul. Who in the world would want what you got? <laughs> Folks come in this building and they sit around and I've watched this over and over again. I don't mean to be disappointed, but my soul, I'm going to tell you the truth if it kills me this morning. I see folks 60, 70 years old that come in and ought to know God and say they know something about God. And God get to moving in the Holy Ghost, get to squeezing folks' heart and they set their soul up like they lost their best friend and say, okay, little preacher boy, Impress me. If Jesus Christ don't impress you, you can't be impressed. And there was a disgust and a despite for his worship. And then as you move on, the word of God said, And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. You see the despite of the worship. You see the distress of his weeping. Jesus did not just cry some crocodile tears. The Son of God with a broken heart wept and bawled like a baby when he saw Jerusalem. And he's cried, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, how oft would I gather thee unto me as a chicken gathereth her chicks under her wings. And ye would not... Zechariah 9, 9, the word of God said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout. O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He's just and having salvation lowly. And riding upon an ass, upon the colt, the foal of an ass. That word lowly most commonly suggests poverty, dejection, bereavement, and a wounded spirit. This morning, while all of those things may apply, they all may be true. In this passage of Scripture, the lowliness of Christ paints a vivid picture 
of divine humility, of divine meekness, and of divine gentleness of the Son of God. You see, when they looked at him, they didn't understand. They were looking for a man of war that would come on a battle stallion and would defeat the Roman government and take Israel back and set up his kingdom. And they looked for it, and they didn't understand what they saw. There are folks sitting right here this morning. You've been looking for God, and you don't even understand when he's near. Christ could have ridden in on a battle stallion. And with one word from his mouth, all of creation would have bowed and melted in his holy presence. But Christ, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, he came not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And he came to seek and save that which was lost. And you see Jesus in his humility riding on a little old donkey. You know what that tells me? He is willing to get down on our level so he can come get us. Boy, I bless his name that when I go to my sweet, sweet Savior in prayer and I need to confess the word of God said he knows my frame. He remembers that I'm does. How does he know my frame so well? Besides the fact he created me and he knew me while I was still in my mother's womb, he took on a body of flesh and he knows what it is to be tempted and he knows what it is to be tried. And now with a broken heart, the Son of God weeps bitter tears for a generation that rejected light. They chose darkness. And now the vast majority of the city of Jerusalem is about to die blind and go to hell. Some 72 hours after Christ wept those tears, the city of Jerusalem was moved in indignation. They stood in Pilate's cold judgment hall, and those that he came to seek and save, the lost children of the house of Israel, stood at Pilate's hall and said, Let his blood be upon us and upon our children. They cursed themselves, and they began to mock and spit and deride the Son of God. And they took him to Calvary made him carry that cross. They pierced his hands and feet, suspended him between heaven and earth, and mocked the Son of God on the cross. Jesus wept not because of the cross. Jesus didn't weep because of the sufferings that he had go through. Jesus did not weep because of the crown of thorns. He did not weep because of that cat of nine tails that would rip his back open. The Son of God wept for all of those souls that had saw the miracles, that had heard the word of God and yet rejected what he said. You say, how could they get in that shape? Number one, they discredited his works. The Word of God said, If thou hadst known. And that phrase suggests that there was a profound ignorance on the people of Jerusalem. Hosea 4, 6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee that thou shalt be no priest to me. And seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. 
For three and one half years, the Lord Jesus Christ, God incarnate, preached in the streets. He taught in their synagogues. He was seen often in the temple. Multitudes thronged the Son of God as He caused cripples to stand up and walk as He touched blind men and made them see. The Lord Jesus Christ interrupted a funeral procession and told a dead boy to get up. And they'd stood and they'd watched and they'd seen all of these things. And in order for them to go to hell, they decided he must have done it all by the power of Beelzebub. There's folks sit around Flint Hill Baptist Church. You've seen God save multitudes in the past two years. And somehow or another, you've got to discredit it. Because if you really believe they got saved, it's going to prove you ain't. And somehow or another, since you ain't going to admit you're lost, you're going to have to discredit those that do get saved. Now let me just help you out with some raw truth this morning. Those folks been in this altar, made professions, and been to the baptizing hole that ain't got saved. And the devil will try his best to trip them up in front of you and magnify them. And when you see one of them, he's going to say, well, there wasn't none of it real. I beg to differ with you this morning. Some of it is real. God's done some mighty works. But in order for some folks to go to hell, I believe, Mama, those folks that looked at my mother getting saved at 81 years of age, and in their mind they said she just got confused. But it, they wouldn't believe that if they see the difference God made in my mom. If they see the difference of when we go in sometimes and catch her alone, all by herself, worshiping and praising God and singing to the Lord. I'm telling you what, there's some works that's been done in our presence. And for some of you to go to hell, you're going to have to deny what God did for Pat Bowling. You're going to have to deny what God did for Francis. You're going to have to deny what God did for Miss Tanya and others. They discredited his works. They denied his word. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. God said, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. We'll forgive their sins and heal their land. The people of Jerusalem had the formula. They had the Word of God, but they denied it. The Word of God said, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves. You know where we got a great problem this morning? Can't nobody seem to humble themselves before God. I said it a while ago, Brother Tim. I believe it with all my heart. I thank God. I've got to thanking Him out loud in my prayers for the trials that He lets me face because I'd rather be broken down and humbled before God than I would to get to a place where I was so lifted up in pride God could never use me. Church, you better be careful what we've seen here the last two years. You'll get so lifted up in pride and you won't appreciate what God's done and you You'll think God's done it because we're what we are. We're who we are. No, he didn't. God did what he did just because he's God and he wanted to. And we better bless his name and thank him for what he's done. But they denied his word. You say, how we deny God's word, preacher? <laughs> Second Corinthians five seventeen. 
Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. You say them people in Jerusalem had the Scripture come alive in front of them. Zacharias 9.9 was fulfilled in front of their eyes when the Son of God came riding a little donkey. Yeah, but 2 Corinthians 5.17 has been filled in front of your eyes if you just look. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. There's folks sitting in this building this morning. The day God saved you, you flushed hundreds and even thousands of dollars worth of drugs down the toilet. There's folks sitting in this building this morning. When God saved you, you got your liquor bottles out and poured them in the sink. There's folks sitting in this building this morning that couldn't go out of your yard without smoking a joint. I mean, you had to catch a buzz and get high to think or do anything. There's folks sitting in here this morning, you couldn't do nothing without grinding up a little old pill and snorting it up your nose or shooting it into your veins. And God has done something in the hearts of men and men will have to deny the Word of God to go to hell after they've seen folks in this building change the way they did. And then finally you see the destruction of their world. The Lord Jesus Christ said, For the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side shalt lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee. They shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Thirty-seven years after Christ spoke these words and wept these tears. Thirty-seven years after Jesus said this. Titus, the emperor of Rome, besieged the city of Jerusalem. He tore down the walls. Titus literally took plows and the implements of the oxen and literally plowed furrows down the streets of Jerusalem, ripped that entire city apart. Josephus, the Jewish historian, wrote that in Jerusalem and about the hills of Judea, that Titus crucified so many of those citizens of Jerusalem, those Jews were crucified, that the, that, that Jewish historian said that there was no more wood to be found in all the city. I'm telling you, God will do what God said he'd do. And Jesus wept because he knew it might not be today. It might be, it might not be tomorrow. It might not be next week or it might not be next month. But if God's told you you're lost and you're going to hell, you're lost. And you are going to hell. And he told the city, you're going to perish. That beloved city, the center of all religion, the center of all that was holy, the place that held the temple of the worship of God in Christ's web. Because he knew that a few short years later, Titus would utterly destroy the entire city. Proverbs chapter number 29, verse number 1. 
The Word of God said, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. You said, Preacher Mike, you believe a man could send away his day of grace? God would quit dealing with you? You better believe that's what this book teaches. I just read it to you. Jesus was there in their presence. They had a visitation from God. And they missed the whole thing. For do you please help me here, please. Do you understand that for nearly two years? Do you understand that God has visited Flint Hill? Do you understand that? There has been a visitation of God. But some of you, some of you are going to miss it. And Jesus wept because they missed it. See, don't you understand some of the trials and some of the troubles some of you faced? God's tried to shake you and get your attention. You've just got mad. Some of your trouble at the house, some of your family problems, some of your financial problems, some of your heartaches, some of your health problems, some things you've been through, God's tried to use those things to get your attention. God did everything He could do to get their attention in Jerusalem. If Jesus don't get your attention, I can't get your attention this morning. There's nothing I can do for you. I want you to turn, and I'm going to be through Proverbs chapter number 1, verse number 24. Because I have called, and ye refused. I've stretched out my hand, no man regarded. But you've set it naught all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind and when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. You do not get saved any time you want to get saved. I don't care what the liberals tell you. God makes a visit. And while He's visiting, you better grab hold of Him. Because if you don't, there'll come a day Satan will make a fool out of you. He'll rob you. He'll steal you blind. He'll tell you you've got plenty of time to get this thing right. He'll say, don't go to that altar now and make a fool out of yourself. You can pray when you get out to the car later. You can pray when you get home later. You may pray in the car and you may pray at home, but if God's not drawing you there, you'll just pray. There won't be any results. I can't tell you the times that I know I prayed prayers and I did not get saved. God works faith and repentance in a man or a woman. You say, Preacher Mike, how do I know God's dealing with me? You say, Preacher Mike, I don't know if God's dealing with me or not. He ain't. Preacher Mike, I'm not sure if this God's really speaking to me or if God's calling. I, well, he ain't. 
Because if he does, better you'll know it. You may not admit it. You may even let your lying heart lie to yourself and say, no, there ain't no way. It couldn't be me. But in the day of judgment, when you get graveyard honest, you're going to know God was calling you. You know God was speaking to you. And Satan will try to keep your mind so occupied you can't even hear the voice of God as God calls. He that being often reproved and hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. God's calling you, you better move. If you're nine years old, 19, 69, 79, or 109, God speaks to you, you better move. God's been dealing with you and God's been calling you. The Word of God said, draw nigh unto me and I will draw nigh unto you. What's that mean? That means if you feel that tug on your heart, why don't you make a move toward God?